the amazing possibilities is that it could defy everything that we know because when we're in a digital space, we could just create anything into existence. And I think how we need to see it is this opportunity to serve people in ways that were not served on the earth, but in collaboration with the earth. And we also need to see it as something that like really defies all that we know and that things could really be so different to what we imagined them to be in a very emancipatory and positive way. Hello and welcome to the Culture and Technology Podcast. My name is Severin Matusek. Everyone is talking about the metaverse and nobody knows what it is. One of the most important things we learned from the pandemic is that digital experiences will become more and more important and more and more life-shaping events will take place in virtual spaces. I mean, thousands of people already got married on Zoom in the last few years. So what happens next? Whatever the metaverse might be, it's important to talk about it. Most of the time, though, when we talk about the metaverse, it's technologists talking to us, representatives of big companies, investors, tech brands, engineers. They talk about technological capabilities and money to be made, but not necessarily what it means to be human in these worlds, what it means to feel, what our bodies feel like, or how we connect to one another and how we relate to ourselves. What I believe is special about the current iteration of the internet is that a more diverse group of people participates in shaping the digital experiences of the future. It's not just engineers and IT specialists from Silicon Valley. It's artists, architects, actors, curators. There are many different people working on virtual experiences right now. I'm really happy that in today's episode and the two following episodes, we are hearing from a few of these voices that are shaping today's virtual experiences and those of the future. In this conversation, we talk about bodies and virtual space. How are our bodies represented in the metaverse? How do virtual experiences shape our identities? And what is the political dimension of these virtual spaces? I invited three guests to our salon today. Hannah Omori from Artist Collective Kaken, artist Martina Menegon, and curator Eva Fischer from Cyber Festival for Contemporary Immersive Virtual Art in Vienna. I'm one of the co-founders of Keiken, and Keiken is an artist collective. Keiken means experience in Japanese, so it's really about pushing the boundaries of experience, but also like exploring the nature of consciousness. And we really have been over many years been really building a like a world building practice where we speculate the future, and within that, we've always been imagining and building this metaverse so our practice is really actually very surrounded in like creating these new structures and laws that could exist in these spaces what are the narratives characters and that really takes on many different mediums whether that's like installation film or gaming or performance thank you martina I'm an artist mainly, <laughs> but also creator. And uh, in my practice, I, I focus on extended reality. So I work from virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, interactive installations and games as well. 
as a curator, I focused, of course, on this kind of art that is very dear to me and very close to me. I'm a senior artist and, and lecturer at the University of Applied Arts here in Vienna, the Department of Transmedia Art. And yeah, I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> Great. Eva, what about you? Yeah, hi. Uh, also very happy to be here. Uh, I'm the artistic director of the Cyber Festival um, that was founded two years ago as the new media art festival of the city of Vienna. Yeah, I'm also a lecturer myself and I'm actually focusing on immersive art, on audiovisual art, on digital art. <laughs> and yeah, what we try with the Cyber Festival is our biggest project at the time is to look at how media art has an impact on our society. And we dealt a lot with the metaverse already last year and with the body this year. And so, yeah, many different mm -hmm. um, angles on, on how media art and art shapes society. Thank you. So, Hannah, I think in your description, you, you had this perfect uh, um, phrase, world building for speculative futures, I think you, you mentioned. And to me, this is already quite a good direction, talking about the metaverse. But to give a little bit context about the metaverse, I find it quite difficult today to really define or come to a shared definition of what it is because so many people talk about it. Is it virtual worlds? Is it a new social platform? Is it going to be our new reality where everyone is just sits at home remotely in the forest and interacts completely with others only in a virtual environment? So Hannah, since you've been working in that field for such a long time, how do you explain the metaverse? I guess maybe if to contextualize it, I could explain how I think people are propositioning it into relation to like what it actually is or could be. Currently, it's very much seen as a buzzword. It's very much speculative energy and it's speculative energy of what the future could be like based on technological advancements. However, the difference of like what it is or like the connection to that is that Whatever we create in our future is going to be based on how we feel now. If you feel your best self, you will see a future that is open. You will approach it with kindness. If you feel closed off, you feel fear, you will create a narrow-minded space. You won't see outside the box or you won't try to see the metaverse being this very malleable space that could change the laws and structures that don't serve people on the earth. And we are living in the a digital realm as well as having our physical body and having physical existence. It actually doesn't disconnect you to nature or maybe some of the metaverses that aren't so emancipatory spaces that we'd like to see it as exploring consequences fictitiously. So we imagine worlds like maybe meta from facebook and how they don't serve humans because they don't change the structures so we're exploring those consequences fictitiously but i think the metaverse to us is a spiritual act because you are transporting your consciousness into another realm so therefore you have to see it as something that is spiritual you have to see it as something philosophical if you're creating new laws and structures that means that you're creating new realities for people to live in there's a extreme amount of nurture care that needs to go into that there's so many aspects to it that you really need to explore but the amazing possibilities is that it could defy everything that we know because when we're in a digital space you could just create anything into existence and I think how we need to see it is this opportunity to serve 
all people from everywhere really try to serve people in, in ways that were not served on the earth but in collaboration with the earth um and we also need to see it as something that like really defies all that we know and that things could really be so different to what we imagined them to be in a very emancipatory and positive way thank you so according to that definition the metaverse is not a space or a thing that any company or individual can own. It's a concept that we as humanity as a whole can participate in and start creating alternative realities. So have you heard of this by John Perry Barlow? He passed away, I think, a few years ago, and it's called The Declaration of Independence in Cyberspace. To me, it's very similar to the metaverse. He really lays out, like, this is what it should be, this is what it shouldn't be. And he talks about how the cyberspace has no borders. So it's not that it's an infinite space, because if it's an infinite space, it's still connected to the Earth. So you're using natural resources. So it's not that the space is infinite in that sense, because you need to consider the Earth and what resources we have, but it doesn't have borders the same way. You're not you're not saying these people they need a passport to come here like this is completely different we could reimagine that we don't need to have airplanes in the metaverse maybe and you know like obviously within gaming often it's portals but it could be something else it could be like our consciousness takes us to something in a very like beautiful transformative act I would say that reimagining is very much the job of artists as well. So I thought, Martina, maybe you want to contribute to that discussion now. How do you um, put in your art practice or how do you approach the metaverse from your perspective? Um, yeah, I also wanted to just quickly add, because I, I really appreciate um, Hannah's vision of, of what a metaverse is. And I think, uh, especially today, you know, you mentioned uh the meta, like kind of taking the metaverse word and saying that they are now creating the metaverse while it is an old word, actually. It's from the 90s. It is not okay for one person to just come and say, no, this is my word and I'm going to make it mine. So I think it is nice to see that artists within this kind of discipline are, are fighting against this, are reclaiming the word metaverse. They are creating different metaverse. It's important to look at the metaverse as a place of freedom, of a place where we can be anything we want to be. This is still a problem. We, we have been talking during the Cyber Festival also of still today, so many of these virtual spaces, these metaverses that are happening online, they still propose like female and male bodies. And that's it. You can't choose any abstract shape or any fluid shape or any even fluid gender you want to be on, on the metaverse. So I think this is still something that, as unfortunately, again, as artists and as creators, we have to take responsibility to talk because otherwise, yeah, corporation won't. <laughs> uh, so I think it is important with our own art to explore different possibilities. So in my case, um, I really always been very fascinated with the uh, with the concept of like glitch but in 3d so not a 2d glitch uh, and i've been always what is a glitch exactly you have to explain um yeah okay so like glitch if you would uh, look at 2d images uh, maybe the image would start to uh, go um, pixelated or out of focus or whatever and th this would be the final error something bad is happening something that it shouldn't happen is happening and there has been artists that have been pushing this into the images, like uh, saving one image over and over until it's kind of compromised and causes this glitch. I've always been interested in kind of 
having the same kind of error aesthetic, but within 3D, so within virtual bodies and virtual spaces. Um, and I do this by basically misusing um, tools that I have at hand, um, like, for example, 3D scanners. Um, you should, you know, be uh, scanning a person by being very still and not moving and being a second person scanning an object or a person. And I do this all by myself. So I cause an error in the process that causes an error in the end result. Um, but I just love this error. So I'm actually embracing this error as something positive, something beautiful, something freeing. And so that's how I create my words. Uh, let's talk about identity, which you already mentioned, Martina. You mentioned that in the metaverse or in virtual reality spaces, we can choose and define our own identities to some extent. Um, and I know that, uh, Eva, identity has been an important topic of this year's cyber festival. So how do you frame identity within the realm of the metaverse and alternative realities? So, yeah, um... <laughs> Actually, during Cyber Festival already last year, we talked a lot about identity and about um, how you would be able to be still connected when in times of like physical distancing and how the metaverse uh, could help you. And uh, I think talking about metaverse and also identity, it's very much, since Mark Zuckerberg came up with, with this term, it got a very political discussion, actually. And um, I think it's always also about um, the question of, of which space belongs to whom and about like who is appropriating which space. We're also talking about very much about space and how art can contribute to all of that. This year, and we focus even more on the body as a political field between our digital and our analog worlds. And we try to see how much those usually different realms, but how much they are still connected to each other and, and how much actually you cannot make any distinction anymore between the analog and the digital. The body is a mirror of our society and as, uh, even an, an, like a communal identity. You know, we talked about how our bodies alone can already show our individual positions in society, for example, whether we are right in the middle or we are pushed to the margins and you know, our bodies always seem to be malleable, trimmable, and those who don't manage to bring their bodies into the norm are considered failures. It's the same story also in, in the digital kind of, so yeah, we talk about politics in the end. Talking about bodies, Hannah, one of the, the works that you created recently, I became very curious about because you created or you're constantly developing this womb, which is basically a womb that... Um, anyone can attach to their bodies and then enter a virtual space or metaverse space and feel kind of like what it's like to be pregnant. Is that true? Or like, but maybe you can explain a bit your approach to that womb and the body and the intersection between the physical and the virtual um, existence. It's called meta bodies and, it, and it's basically a womb made out of silicone with haptics inside. So the haptics emit both sound and, um, and vibrations and you wear this haptic wearable womb you put it on your stomach you lie down and you have headphones in and you listen to animal noises inside you can program different things inside the womb we tried it with live singing and different things just to like 
you know, we need to experiment with the technology, just that I guess like what we imagined it to be to what it is, is slightly different. It's also very different for different people. But the initial idea of it was that in 2017, we did a performance with over three days of durational and there was many performers of different age, gender. And what we realized was that because they were wearing these silicone wombs, not with haptics, just kind of like bought ones. And when people wore them, people really couldn't distinguish that they're not pregnant. So then in their mind, everyone feels pregnant. So we became very fascinated that how cathartic the architecture of the womb is and how holistic it is. So if you think of the metaverse, the metaverse is a space that the architecture of the womb is important to human beings. It's something that everyone shares and people think of it as gendered, but it's not, it's genderless. Everyone came from the womb. It's an amazing piece of architecture and technology. It's probably one of the best technologies, a way better technology than Elon Musk could ever make. From that experience, we know this architecture, this technology is very important. So now let's see what happens if we were to program something inside that womb. How would people respond to that? What about if you were to program something that people find it hard to connect to? So for example animals we don't share the exact same senses as animals there's obviously things that we do share we share a limbic and a reptilian brain we have feelings and emotions they have feelings and emotions but our sensorial experiences are very varied so we programmed animals that could communicate through ultrasound into the womb and basically when you put sound haptics through the womb the sound travels inside the womb and creates almost like um, haptic shapes so what ends up happening is you have this like very sensorial experience where something is inside you but something is unfamiliar to you but you're feeling the vibrations in a very internal but also immersive way I think initially our idea was very much like we're very interested in how do we hack the human to uh, have um, compassion for things that are um, not similar to them because one of the implications of the future and present is that we lose interest for things that are not similar to us or we don't we don't have connections so we're like confused or we can't be bothered to try because it's too difficult it takes hard work and everybody has different senses but what we've really noticed is that you people are in a safe space when they try the technology so it activates something it simulates their body to think and it makes them think internally because it's inside them i think that's uh, such a nice approach in I think as soon as the metaverse gets monetized, it will always be about competition. Um, so we should create as many free and safe spaces as we can. I think that art and games that aim at creating such spaces will help a lot to make yeah, users aware of the fact that the metaverse or digital spaces can be a place for experimenting and for finding new ways to see our bodies, to see ourselves. Martina, you wanted to say something? Yeah. Last year experience for us was really interesting because there was, you know, we were all in lockdown and everybody was like searching for places to meet uh, that would be safe. How do you create a safe space online in a place where you can just access? 
and where you cannot ban someone. And for me, it's, it's something that still we have to research. And I think as artists, especially, we can explore as, you know, okay, can uh, do by creating these new words, new, new nature, new, new spaces to exist. Yeah, we need to keep exploring. We need to keep providing different spaces that would accommodate different communities, different groups. We need to provide more safe spaces online because there it's still very, very little. <laughs> Honestly, I think what what Hannah mentioned as well is technological advancements. And I was just thinking that probably 10 years ago, we couldn't have had the same discussion as we have today because simply technology wasn't as accessible and open as it is today. So the mere fact we can sit here and talk about creating these alternative worlds and creating safe spaces is already a big advancement to the last decade where still technology and software was probably limited to a, a certain group of people that had the resources, that had the access to actually create those worlds. I think what we see today with Kaiken and, and other collectives that more people access that technology now and more people have the, the knowledge and the skills and the will to actually create these worlds. We don't just leave it to some programmers, developers in Silicon Valley to do this and to design these spaces or these games according to what they find interesting and important, but we can now take the technology and do it ourselves. Would you agree with that? Do you see that also maybe on Cyber Festival and with some of the projects that, that get involved? It is true. It has been a very important development that people can access tools to create such words and, and such spaces. But it's also, it, I think it goes along with the fact that, you know, some years ago, when you say 10 years ago, there was still this perception that the virtual was something else, was not real it's a place you escape to not be in reality. You can do whatever, you, you can behave as you like. And I think, meanwhile, it's not only the access to technology, it's also the realization that virtual is real. It is part of us as much as the physical body, our virtual body, it is us. So there is this extra knowledge of, okay, how we behave online, it is how we behave as human as well. And we have to put attention to that. We need to learn. It's a, it's still new. We're still kind of babies online. You know, we are still learning how to walk, how to, what, what hurts, what doesn't hurt, but we are learning this and we, we should learn uh, to exist online as we are learning how to exist in the physical. We should question how we are online as much as we question how we are in the physical. These are going together more accessibility, but also more melting of these two realities that were separated and becoming one new digital, as Kai can also uh, always say. We talked about the politics of the metaverse. Hannah, in your work, you're creating very imaginative uh, free worlds, uh, according to the way you study neuroscience, the way you study Buddhism, the way you study the body. How political is your work, would you say? Is it political at all? Or would you rather say you try to keep away from politics? I think it's like hard not to, but I think um, our work is definitely very political, but we don't force people to have an opinion on that. We're never talking about things in a very direct way. And what we do is we kind of abstract the emotions, the feelings, the different experiences that are going on right now. So we often like to see, like we kind of reflect on the contemporary as though now is history. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to take like the feelings, emotions, culture, consciousness of the contemporary moment and trying to just like, you know, kind of propel that into the future and then reflect on those things and kind of 
explore those consequences fictitiously. So some of the worlds we create are not emancipatory spaces. They're spaces that are oppressive. What happens if you go into a space like Facebook, like Meta, what sort of body would you have? And if you were to have that body, what sort of life would you live? So we'll explore that in a much more detailed way. So we'll actually try to live that life and then say, oh, well, this could be the implication that happens. Because if you speculate it and don't try to experience it, you will not go into the detail of what the implication may be. You have to try to simulate that and then go, hey, this is what I found out. So I think that like our work has always been political. It will always be political. But we are not trying to talk about it in a way where it's so direct it's abstracted enough that it's almost like um yeah we're not telling people you should be on this side or that side it's more like hey these are all the sides that could happen let's explore where they could go and like you from your own experiences and your memories you may have a different perspective of the way that you've seen our work to someone else and that's fine with us but we will try to we will try to go into detail and try to figure out what could or could not happen even if it's preposterous because everything is preposterous anyways but you know I think that um yeah we're just trying to figure it out in our own way as my final question for this discussion is I find that when talking about the metaverse and you know also going back to the declaration of cyberspace that you mentioned that's from the 90s since decades we have this image of people getting lost in cyberspace you know us only living surfing the internet being inside our screens using these headsets but do you think there's going to be a dystopian sort of future where let's say also with climate change, you know, our planet gets destroyed and we just live in little hubs, you know, having our little virtual reality glasses on and completely exist in cyberspace. Is this an actual reality that it's going to happen or is it not going to happen like that? I mean, we will still have a body. Like even if we are, let's say, in the middle of nowhere on a little tent with our VR headset, our physical body is the one that will have the VR headset on. I think that that's always this misconception, like this disembodiment connected to the virtual. It, it is actually the very opposite. Like we do, I think by being in the virtual, by using the virtual, by existing in the virtual, we also very strongly relate to our physical body. It's like our physical body is the main interface to access this, um, this other reality. We should not forget that. We should not forget the body ever when we talk about the virtual. Hannah, what do you think? When you think of like something like Facebook or Instagram, it's like we're currently often like, I don't know, like 15, 20 centimeters high. Like that's a mini portal. Your screen is like a mini portal into another realm. Imagine if you are literally 360, very like full, like, you know, feels like reality inside Instagram. Like that is going to be a incredibly highly anxious, anxiety driven. You'll always be put in the disposition of seeking mode, but in a way that's not necessarily positive for you. You will like waste time. You'll be trapped. You'll live within those laws and structures that exist in Instagram and you would not be able to escape it. Like if you give someone another reality to live in and it feels as real as the earth, how do you escape? You know, I think this is going to be a huge question to like, you know, what happens if somebody can create these worlds and you don't know where those worlds exist because 
you don't know the landscape of the metaverse you and what happens to those people what happens when the resources on earth deplete and then you're put into the metaverse and but your resources deplete on the physical earth what happens to that body like i think it's like the there's going to be so many implications that entail the thing is is nothing is just negative dystopian or utopian and that's kind of how the world exists it work, exists full of positives and negatives the implication is going to be that as the world becomes more complicated how do you comprehend anything like how do you comprehend your what your desires are what your beliefs are how do you feel focused in life like how do you feel ambition and drive to know who you are i think those are going to be huge questions especially when technology also has so much data on you and has so much ability to control you this is what they've been training they have data algorithms ai that do this already the programs are literally competing against each other every day to put your brain onto certain modes so that it takes your attention away from other platforms the blockchain has this amazing emancipatory ability to be able to create new forms of exchange that are more new, nuanced, more ephemeral. You could preserve uh, wisdom onto the blockchain and start exchanging that. Like you can do all kinds of things, but that really takes us to think about like what are the existing structures and to be able to throw that away and to give that up, to not be so greedy, to not enter the kind of realm of like hyper capitalism and to want different goals in life and to actually have the ability to, to be clear-headed enough to follow that direction and to stick with that and against all odds change those things. The Culture and Technology Podcast is produced by the Vienna Business Agency. The Vienna Business Agency supports businesses, the economy, and the city to develop Vienna's creative industries further.